you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, we're in Colossians chapter 1. Um, we just got three verses today <laughs> because we're going slowly. So uh, starting verse 21 is where we will be. Um, before that, um, I'm not going to... Nancy, I'm just going to let you know we're going to miss you. You're moving up to Idaho in, on, on Saturday. Um, and I'm, I, don't, I didn't ask if it was okay to do this. And so if it's okay, I'm actually... I'm, I'm on the logo. We're, 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 we used to do this, and we haven't done it for a while because we all got nervous. Um, but I want to let you know, for those that say I'm, I'm comfortably around, people are close up, totally fine. And if you're not totally fine, I just want to make sure you know, um, we, through this whole COVID thing, just approach it as you, as you need to. But we used to do this before it, where we would just pray people out. They'd have to stand on the logo, and people would surround and lay hands. And maybe you're from a church that did that. Um, and you're, this is like, yeah, we're kind of getting to my roots. And for those that haven't, um, it's like, well, what is this? Um, this is just us saying we're sending you out. And she's going to go be with her family up there. And so, Nancy, do you mind? Are you okay with this? You can stand on the logo. Um, you're now a Lancer right here. You're a Lancer. And then if you feel comfortable, if you would stand and just surround her and lay hands on her, then I'm going to pray. Again, this isn't anything magical. This is just as a community committing her to the Lord. Um, and why do we pray for people when they move? Um, well, because we believe that God is in charge of all of it, and he's moving her there to have an impact in Idaho, and so we're thankful. <clears throat> so we want to pray her out. Again, if you don't want to, it's totally fine. You can just stay seated or where you're at. Uh, but if you feel comfortable doing it, please do. <clears throat> okay. Well, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks uh, for this morning. We thank you for Nancy. God, she's had such a ministry here. Every prayer request that's come in has come to her and she sent it out. And to think of how many people she's prayed for and prayed over. God, we thank you for her and we will miss her, but we know that you're sending her and uh, we pray that you're preparing hearts for people that need to hear about Jesus when she's there. Uh, we pray for all the details that come with that um, of moving. God, handle them all. And just show yourself in the midst of them. We pray your protection as she travels. Um, but God, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we know this isn't goodbye. This just see you soon. Uh, but again, thank you. We commit her to you and your service as she goes. Now, God, open your word to us, we pray. In your name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you all. Thanks for being flexible with that. Um, we'll probably be doing that a little bit more often just because I like it. <laughs> so Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, as you're turning there. Um, it's, for those of you that have adult kids, you're, you've gone through this. Um, we've got, we now have an 18-year-old, which is weird. Um, and he's like two and a half inches taller than him, which is depressing for me. And I can still, I can still take him, but I like... <laughs> But then his graduation's on Tuesday, and my mind's just whirling. <clears throat> now, and I'm not, I'm not huge on nostalgia. I'm like, I'm, I don't really keep anything um, of memory. The reason there are pictures in our home is because my wife takes pictures. Um, I forget that that's what a phone does, um, unless, <laughs> unless it's like a receipt I need to turn in for a reimbursement. That's about all the pictures I'm taking. But Kelly's just got tons and tons of, and so she has all these pictures out um, of, he's got a, he's got a kind of a hangout today, and to just kind of watch this growth. And you kind of go, how did it happen so fast? So adult, adult parents, am I on the right track so far? 
Like you just kind of go, where did the time go? Because you used to fit on my lap and now I'm closer to fitting on yours. <laughs> like it's weird. And so I've kind of been thinking through the parts that I remember. I feel like I really have a really cruddy memory. But the parts I remember when I see these pictures, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember that. I remember that. And to think he's going to take this big step on Tuesday. And for those, who have, um, those of you who have kids that are graduating this year, you, hopefully you're still you're going through it as well. Even if you've had it before, it's always something very specific with your kid. And I think, as I've thought through it, I thought, okay, so God, what should we do with you? So as I've had these, this season of reflection, it hit me as I was looking at the passage for this morning, we should have this season of reflection often in our walks with Jesus. Like we should often go back to where we were before and to look what life was like. Now for those that say, oh, before Christ, man, I was a hellraiser. I was just going crazy. And others is like, I don't really feel like there was much of a difference in the way that I lived before Jesus. I just knew that I had Jesus when I surrendered to him. Maybe for some, it's like, I came to Christ so young that I really don't know much difference. Others are like, I don't even know if I've come to Christ yet. I'm so glad that you're here. But it's all a journey. And so when you look back over your life, do you see this progression where you're growing? Do you kind of go, man, that's what I was like before. This is where I am now. And the now part is where we live in the most, right? We're constantly in the now, always kind of moving forward to what's next. And that's what this passage is about. I think mostly what Paul writes about over and over is, hey, this is who I was before Jesus. And then a lot of what it is that you read in his letters is where he's at now. And he's, and he's explaining things with such incredible depth that people have been reading his letters for the last 2,000 years He's explaining where he's at, and he's explaining the things of God, and then he's explaining what's to come. And friends, I think we need to do that on a pretty regular basis in our walks with Jesus so that we don't just think that it's just now. And especially what's to come. <clears throat> like in, in the way that you live your life for Christ, with Christ, by Christ, do you actually live it in such a way that you're praying that God would impact people 400 years from now? Or is it just now? Like, this is my part. And don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting there going, God, I don't care about now. Just use me then. No, it's like, God, help me to live in a way now that impacts people 400 years down the road. Because I'm reading about all these spiritual giants of the faith 400 years prior to us. And I'm going, man, they, they lived well. They did well for you, God. I know you sit there and go back to the scriptures and go look at all the heroes of the faith, but what I like also about the scriptures is a bunch of people that are jacked up and messed up and God still used them, but we can still learn from them and they're still impacting. You remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago, the only reason that we have Paul's letters, especially Colossians, is because he had to go to prison to slow him down so he could write some letters and so when you think, oh, my life's not going the way that I thought it would, I can't, I'm not as mobile as I wish, I'm not doing the things that I pictured I'd be doing right now, then is it possible that God has actually set you up for greater influence and impact than if he had never allowed or brought that thing about? Guys, we have to keep remembering that no matter what, God is always good in every single thing that he does, every single thing. There's not one moment in all of God's existence where he's been more good than before. So there's no decision that he makes that is not good, no matter what. And we may not understand from our limited perspective, but God is always good and he's always right in what it is that he declares to be right. 
it's just hard for us to catch up, right? Because the circumstances are what we feel, and sometimes we're just not sure where God is. So I'm thankful that we, I'm thankful we have the word, and I'm thankful we get to read from a guy named Paul who did that. He remembered what life was like, then we see where he was then, and he's talking about what's to come, which will impact us and further on. And we should have this hope as well. So a question I wrote down was, what were we like before Jesus? And you can sit there and go, I was like this. And they kind of went through that. And so there's three time periods we're going to look at. First one is this, before, before. In verse 21, look at verse 21. It said, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Notice this again. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But why start off with and you? That sounds like a weird sentence. Well, you got to go back to what it is that you guys looked at last week. So starting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, you look at the supremacy of Christ. Then when you look at Jesus, you see God. And this was important for Paul to make sure people understood. You're looking at God in the flesh. Why? Because this culture believed what? Flesh was evil, spirit was good. So if Jesus came in the flesh, that's evil. Okay, so it's Gnosticism, and James was kind of explaining last week, it's like this secret knowledge. And so since you don't have it, if I'm a Gnostic, if you don't have it, you could pay me extra money, and I'll help you find it. Or what you think to be true, the simplicity of the truths you know, there's always more to know. Let me guide you into what you don't know. What you don't know, I know. You just don't know that I know it yet. Okay, so you see the problem with that? And isn't that kind of hitting culture today? And we have people saying, okay, you may not know this about you, but I do. And so since you don't know it, you don't know it yet, but it will come about as truth at some point when you get the secret knowledge. Guys, you can take advantage of a whole lot of people that way. And you can push concepts and ideas that they just don't know it yet. Here's why I think the word is so important, is you can open it. I tell people, bring your Bibles. You ever notice every time, I, every time I preach, hey, take your Bibles, turn to your Bible, turn your pages or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on. Why? Because I want you in the Word. Because I want you to look and go, hey, he's just not making this up. This is what it says. I can go back to it. But if it's all of a sudden, it's, I have the secret knowledge, listen to me. If it contradicts this, if I ever preach anything that horribly contradicts the scriptures, I'm not talking about the gray stuff where you're trying to figure it out. We have grace in those moments. But if I were to ever come up and say, hey, Jesus is not God. No, you gotta work towards salvation. Leave. Don't come back. Go back to the word. It always goes back to what the scriptures say. So when you look here, and it talks about Jesus' divinity. It is so important for us to get Jesus came in the flesh, but he's fully God. That when you look upon Jesus, you want to know what God's like, and you read about Jesus in the Gospels, that's what God's like. It's not like the Father is the mean one, the Son is the nicer one, and the Holy Spirit's just running around in circles. It's not like that. They're all, how do you, take, how do you try to explain the Trinity? You can't. I know people go, oh, it's like a triangle. Mm, kind of, but not quite. Oh, it's like a, it's like, what have, I've heard egg. It's like an egg. The Trinity, it's an egg. And I'm like, no, it's not an egg. 
Because the yolk's not the white stuff. And what is the white stuff called? We just call it the white stuff. Isn't that weird? The yolk gets a name, the white stuff, because the yolk's the good stuff. And then there's the shell which you throw away. So which part of the tree do you chuck? I don't understand it. Three persons, fully God, yet one, one united God. Three in one. That is the beauty of it. Because there's no way that any normal human mind would come up with that concept. And when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at God. And he's to be preeminent. In other words, he's to have the first place. There should be nothing in comparison to Jesus in our lives. And so now you have to answer the question, is there? Is there anything in your life that is in direct competition with Jesus as preeminent? Friends, if anything starts to, eke, or starts to move forward in this preeminence of your life, welcome to your idol. Jesus is to be preeminent you said, I go, well, then I'm settling. Think about that concept. How dumb is that? If I, if I, okay, if I can't have this, the most important thing, Jesus will understand. This needs to be, be the most important thing. We have Jesus who is almighty, all-powerful, provider of everything. The reason I have this thing that might become in competition with Jesus is because Jesus, he provides everything that's good. So I'm not settling when Jesus is preeminent. I'm actually entering into the life that he wants me to live because he is preeminent. And until he is preeminent in your life, you'll always be wanting. But when he's preeminent, I'm not gonna say it's perfect. What I'm gonna say is it's right. It's right. He's preeminent. That means if circumstances don't turn out the way that you want. Didn't we just sing about that? I thought that was one of the most powerful parts of the morning so far. And no matter what, I'm going to worship you. Even if circumstances don't play out my way. But I don't feel like that's the norm Christian message that's preached today. It's like, accept Christ and everything turns out perfect. And then the definition of perfect is my definition of perfect. And yet throughout the world, we have a bunch of followers of Jesus who are not experiencing quote-unquote perfect life. They're, they're, they're in want, physical need, and people are trying to help, but they have something it's called joy. Guys, has anyone ever gone through that horrible experience of dropping your phone and the screen cracks and all of life is shattered? <laughs> I haven't yet because I'm too anal about it. But for those of you that have, you've gone through that. And I know, I know that in, when, it, when it happens, not if, but when it happens, I'm not going to sit there and go, consider pure joy. I'll probably say something like, that's the devil. That is the devil. That is persecution. That's spiritual warfare. You ever wonder if maybe we've turned out to be a bunch of little wimps? A little bit. When I read about Christians who are pers truly persecuted for Christ. Here's something. I was going to share it before I preached. Gary, if you have this ready, I want to make sure that you understand all of life is good now. I read this. I have a little news thing I get. Instead of watching the news, I just get these quick little snippets. This was on there. You ready, Gary? Guys, for those of you that have a hard time keeping a burrito together, they now, no joke, what's it called? I'll make sure I get the name right. Because this is huge, guys. This is massive news. Here it is. Tasty tape. Edible tape. Do you have a picture of the burrito? Is that there? Can I see it? No, I don't see it. Guys, I'm telling you, when I looked at it, I went, oh, thank God. God, thank you for providing. It is hard to keep a burrito together with two hands. 
And so when the, no joke, and these are students from Johns Hopkins University. They made it their project to make sure that those of you, that every time you order from Chipotle and you see them overstuff that burrito, you're just like, what am I gonna do? You start freaking, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Tasty tape, guys. Tasty tape. The only problem is when I saw the picture, the tape looked like mold. Like the color was like this dark green looking thing. And I'm like, there's no way I would eat that. But for some reason, I just want to make sure, for those that are freaking out, there it is. Guys, what is this? Do you just look at that and go, yes, put that in my belly. <laughs> it's like, the, no. But I want to let you know, this is what we've come up with, God. We've, guys, we've saved the world. Edible tape for your burritos. Guys, it's just... I figured just put it in a bowl, use a fork, but <laughs> there, there it is. This is what we need? Now, God bless them. They did something, and I'm sure it's going to make a millions. They'll come back and say, ha ha, what do you have? I've got a burrito bowl. It's healthier. There's no tortilla. But like, I go, is that where we've come to? Guys, I can't say that all of life will turn out great. But what I can promise you is that Jesus will be with you at an all. At no point in the scriptures does he say, hey, follow me, and I'll give you everything that you've ever wanted and the most comfortable life you could ever imagine. And friends, I do not want to be part of a mission that tries to just make people as comfortable as possible until we wait for heaven because I do not believe that it fits with the story of the scriptures. I don't believe that it fits with the teaching of the Bible. What I want us to do, guys, at the end of my life, to be able to look back and go, God, did I do it right? And how do I gauge it? And this is how I think I can gauge it. Did others love Jesus more because I did something? Did they fall in love with Jesus more? So much so that they had to go make sure that other people got to know Jesus so that they could love Jesus more. I mean, isn't that what it's supposed to be? That people would know God and then love people? I mean, isn't it supposed to be like that? No matter the circumstances, that if I don't have enough, I still give. I still live generously because I want to live like Jesus did. It's not going to be I have Jesus and therefore I get everything else on my list. I just get Jesus. And no matter what comes, I have Jesus. So I can't preach to you. Here's how to have the perfect life. What I can tell you is this. Here's how to have the righteous life before God. And here's how to walk with God in humble submission to him. So that when you do see him bless more than he quote unquote should it's just thankful and grateful, not expected. But there's this part in Colossians 1 as he's going through 15 through 20, talking about supremacy. You get to verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And now back into 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now when we read something like this, you go, okay, so who's he speaking to? Us, all of us. This is not all, oh, it's just them. Because I'm, I'm not, I'm a good person. Guys, he's speaking to a bunch of Christians, people who loved Christ, Christ followers. He said, this is what you were like before Jesus. Before Jesus, you weren't good with some, you know, a couple mistakes that you've had. No, no, no. This is who you were. You once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. 
You compare that to what Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. It says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. Now, do you still hear that and go, yeah, yeah, but. You, have you met me? Yes, I have. And you're as jacked up as I am. Like, we're all messed up. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Do you hear like this universal language that he's speaking? No one, no one, no one, all. We're all included in this. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You wonder why Jesus, and I think I brought this up before, but when the, the quote unquote, the rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus and says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing that Jesus says is, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Knowing that this man did not believe him to be God, and yet I believe he asked the question because he's like, who do you really think I am? But it says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And that word alienated, when we look at the passage, and you who once were alienated, it means to be estranged, to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. So we're alienated, we're kept away. So we're alienated and we're hostile in mind. What's that? This is what that word means when I looked it up. It means to be hateful, to be enemies of God. Guys, this is where we were. So we have Paul again in Romans chapter five. He says, okay, while we were sinners, he died for us. He also refers to us as what? Enemies. While we were enemies of God. This is who we were. This is what happens. We sit and go, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. Can I encourage you for just a second as we get into the now part? And you who once were. There's where the identity shifted. That's when everything changed. Do you see? It's not like, hey, those of you alienated, hostile God, you're still there. No, no, he's not ripping into him. He goes, hey, let me remind you of what it was like before. Before Christ, you were separated from him. You were enemies and hateful against God. But that's who you once were. Guys, we need to hold on to that. If you're a follower of Christ, you once were, I, we once were, alienated from God, hostile, enemies of God, doing evil. And then everything changed. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled. The word reconcile means to reunite, to bring back a former state of harmony. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Who were you? That's who you were, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil. Now, holy, blameless, above reproach because of Jesus as he's presented us before the Father. But why do you think he says in the flesh? Again, you look at it, the Gnostics believe everything in the matter, that's evil. Anything spirit, good. Guys, when that plays out, why is that such a problem? It's like, well, that's not a big of a deal. Guys, this is what they thought. Well, Matter, physical things, that's evil. 
But you can pretty much do whatever you want because what really is true is spirit. So this doesn't matter. You can get away with doing anything you want. You can live however you want. You can go with every thought, every feeling. You can take advantage of people. You can have sex whoever you want. You can do anything you want because that's matter. The spirit is what's true and real, and that's what's going to happen. The body's going to go away. That's the evil part. The spirit's going to keep living, so just kind of do whatever you want. And isn't it weird how that still plays today? Guys, when people go, oh, the scripture's there. The Bible, it's not even relevant. I think it's more relevant than ever. I think it's more relevant than any book that's written today. It is relevant. But guys, our identity has been changed if you're a follower of Jesus. Notice I said, if you're a follower of Christ. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm, okay, great. Take the title if you want. But are you a Christian who follows Christ? Or are you just a Christian by title? Are you a Christian who's always been a Christian because that's how you were raised and you were born into it and not really a decision for Jesus? Are you really following Jesus or is it just this head thing? Because followers of Christ, it's like, we get it. It's like, this is who I was. This is who I am now. And so because I'm holy and blameless before God, because of Jesus, I should be striving to live what? A life that is holy and blameless before God. But guys, again, this mystery of the flesh, Paul says this to a, to a young pastor. It's his first letter. Um, his name was Timothy. In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest, sorry, Jesus, he, he was manifested in the flesh. Guys, this is why it's so important. Think of Jesus before taking on a body. The purity of joy, love, peace that comes with being the triune God. No limitation, no temptation to deal with, no physical struggles or infirmities, nothing. The triune God completely content in and of itself. And he takes on flesh to do what? To experience, to experience everything that we have to experience in the flesh. Guys, every worry, it's like, what did he worry? Guys, he worried so much he sweat drops of blood. He saw the brokenness up close. He experienced it. He knows what it's like to get sick and to feel it, that our bodies get worn down. He experienced all of it. He took it on voluntarily. And to think, the only reason that the psalmist could write in Psalm 103 before Jesus showed up in the body, as a father shows compassion toward his children, so God shows compassion to us. Why? He remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. He gets it. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He took on flesh. No other, no other God in any other religion has done that. What he had to experience in the flesh is what we experience in the flesh. And yet what we experience in the flesh is because we messed it up. He's not responsible for any of the brokenness we experience. And yet he took it on. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, Verse 14, he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Remember, that's the effects of sin and flesh, and yet he wasn't responsible for it because he didn't sin. But the brokenness that came because of it, he experienced it. It's kind of like this. Did you ever, for those of you who played sports growing up, um, I played basketball in high school. That's about, that's about as far as I can say I'm an athlete. And I enjoyed it. It's like I'm not that guy going, hey, I'm trying to relive my days. 
This is how depressing it's gotten. I played basketball with the students here a couple weeks ago, and um, I couldn't make a shot. I was depressed. I'm, on, I'm under the basket for a, a layup, and I bonked it off the backboard. It, like, took off. I'm like, how? I just figure I've just gotten really strong over the years. That's the problem. I know. I know. That's what it is. And then I, I stepped wrong, and I felt my knee go. I'm like, what is this? How is this body falling apart? I'm not, I, get, I get home, I look at Kelly, and I was like, well, she goes, it happened again. I, it happened again. <laughs> Guys, I play capture the flag with students. I jack up a calf. Like my, I just turned, bam, oh, crud. And I was walking around like a pirate. <laughs> I play basketball, my knee's like, oh, crud. I'm just kind of hobbling up the steps. I'm like, what, is this what it's like? Jesus, she should have gone backwards. Start like this and let our bodies get awesome toward the end. That's, I feel like I figured that's the way it's supposed to go, but okay, I digress. Back to where I was going. So we're, we got to run lines and do all this stuff in high school and for a team, but there's always that kid. It's like, just step up and get in here. Like, do it. So then the coach would time us all. It's like, you have to run lines in a certain amount of time. If you don't get there, you run again. There's always that one guy. I'm not I, I did it. But I wasn't that one. So you look, and you, and you just know, right when the coach says, hey, I know, I know last time was 50 seconds. It's 45 seconds. You're sitting there going, we're going to die. We're going to die, because if we don't make it, you run again, and you run again, and you run again. I'm like, could you go? Could we push you? Could we carry you? Something that's going to help. You run because of somebody else's quote-unquote mistake. Jesus died because of ours. He wasn't responsible for any of it, but he took on, he took on the quote-unquote the curse because of us. We caused it, and he did everything necessary to fix it. So it goes on. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, and through death he, I'm sorry, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus became a curse. He experienced the curse and became a curse for us. So I wrote this in my notes. I said, if Jesus didn't come as a cursed man, he couldn't die as a cursed man. And if he couldn't die as a cursed man, he couldn't die for cursed men and women. And if he couldn't die for cursed men and women, we would still be cursed. Think of everything that Jesus went through for us. It wasn't just death on a cross and come back from the dead. He experienced life on earth. And he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Guys, that is the beauty of the incarnation. Guys, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So here's Jesus, who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I heard a pastor preach this, his name is Jonathan Rourke. He said, God forced Christ to become something he wasn't so we could become something we aren't. Let me say that again. God forced Christ to become something he wasn't so we could become something we aren't. Look at that verse again. For our sake, he, the Father, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never had sinned, word, thought, deed, never sinned. And yet he became sin. What's that mean? He became the target of God's wrath. It's like the sin of the world of every single person who lived before that moment, in that moment, and all of us to follow was placed on Jesus and the wrath necessary from God for all the sin of every single person. The eternal punishment that every single person, every single one of us deserves, Jesus endured it and then conquered it. He overcame it. Guys, when the incarnation of Jesus comes up next Christmas, 
Remember all the weight that comes with it. Jesus took it all so he could have us to redeem us, to destroy the work of the devil. He went on to say this. He said, since he became flesh, he could die for flesh. But since he's eternal God, he could endure eternal wrath for the ungodly, for every single person who would believe. Because he's God, he could endure the wrath necessary. But because he's flesh, because he came in the flesh, he could become the sacrifice necessary. And so knowing that about Jesus and what he did in coming in the flesh, I can I ask a question? And this is pretty poignant, pretty straightforward. Do you still act now how you used to act before? Do you still act now, for those who are followers of Jesus, do you still act now like you did before you knew Christ? Guys, I know, I know this is kind of straightforward, but there should be a difference, followers of Jesus, in what it is that we do and how it is that we live. I'm not just saying, hey, we have more laughter and joy and happiness and fulfillment. No, no, no. I'm saying we actually look at the commandments of Jesus and say, I'm going to do that because that's worship. And you said to do that. You said, hey, you want us to live like this? This is how I'm going to live. I'm not going to backtrack and go, I don't like that part of the Bible. Because I just have this conviction. Friends, when you look at the Ten Commandments, think through it. It's like, oh, those are old school. Yeah, those are old school and they still work. He said, well, Jesus didn't really preach all that often. Guys, when you look in the New Testament, how many, old, how many of the Ten Commandments are actually repeated over and over? But you know that Jesus actually made it tougher? He's like, we'll explain it. Old, old Testament, ready? Here's the commandment. Do not commit adultery. It means don't have sex with anybody who's not your spouse. Knowing that the scriptures teach. What is, what is marriage? One man, one woman. In covenant, in covenant relationship. You covenant with one another. One man, one woman. That's where you can have sex. Outside of that, no. Here comes Jesus saying, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who's, anyone who's looked upon a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. Guys, you realize that Jesus actually upped the ante? And what do we do? Not, no, it's not that big of a deal. Everyone struggles. It's true, we do. We struggle. But it doesn't mean it gives us license to keep doing it. Guys, as I, as I sin, when I sin, to go to God, say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I confess it. I grieve and I repent from it. Repentance isn't just one time to get saved. It's constant. I, I constantly repent from sin. He says, hey, don't murder. People are like, I've never done that. I've wanted to. <laughs> oh, I felt that. <clears throat> but I've never killed anybody. And here comes Jesus going, if you've ever had hatred in your heart towards someone, you've killed them, like you're guilty. And what's the wage of sin? Death. All of a sudden we're confronted with what? Before. I'm confronted with it, right? But for me to say, I now know Jesus, and now I can decide which parts I will obey and not, Guys, that's arrogance. That's pride. Guys, it is not okay. St. Brian, that's not a popular message. I'm not looking to put popular. 
I'd rather be faithful and go, what does the Bible say? Do the best that we can trying to figure this thing out. But the parts that he makes clear, let's live that out. Rather than thinking, hey, but I'm not going to agree with that. Let me show you why it works better. And then it doesn't. Then you blame God because it didn't work out the way you thought it would. Jesus, when he, in John chapter 8, he's confronted with a woman. Brought to him because she's caught in the act of adultery. In the act. They say, hey, the law says we're supposed to stone such women. The law, the law actually said you're supposed to stone such men and women who are caught in the act. Not just the woman. But they just bring the woman. What do you say? Jesus, remember, he starts to write in the dirt, and he stands up, and he says, what? Hey, any of you that don't have any sin, cast the first stone. And then he starts to write in the dirt again. And then all of a sudden, those who are holding rocks, they start to drop them. Oldest to youngest, they, guard, they start walking away. So this is what happens. As they all walk away, Jesus stands up, looks at the woman. Think about, think about how terrified she is and how degraded she's felt as she's been used as a prop. Rather than the pinnacle of God's creation, she's a prop. And Jesus, the creator, looks at her, says, where are they? Is no one here left to condemn you? Then he says this, then neither do I. And this is where so many people stop in the passage. Hey, if you have any sin, throw the first stone. Well, if, or if you don't have any sin, throw the first stone. Of course no one's going to throw the stone. It's like, I don't have any sin. I, don't know. I have sin. I'm not going to throw it. Guys, that's not where Jesus stopped. He said, then neither do I condemn you. And then he says, now leave your life of sin. He actually moves it to the next part. And so to keep using that passage out of context <clears throat> and say this, you know what? Whoever doesn't have any sin, throw the first stone. And you leave it there? Friends, you're handling the word of God in an, in an irresponsible way to justify a life and a choice that you prefer over obedience to Jesus. Guys, he expects obedience. But we gotta remember his commandments are not against us, they're for our joy and for our good. It's because he loves us. But it's also because he's worthy of our obedience. Is this making sense? Like it is so important for us to grasp this. We are loved uncontrollably by God. But that love does not give us license to live and do whatever we want. We're supposed to be living in a manner worthy of him. Listen to what John says in his first letter. He says, no one who, who abides in him keeps on sinning. Oh, crud. Don't you, oh, oh. Anybody question it now? It's like, I do keep sinning. I'm kind of struggling. I'm struggling with sin, but that's the key. You're struggling. He's not keep on sinning. You're struggling against it. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Does this mean you can gain your salvation by acting righteously? No. Guys, the only way I can be righteous before God is because of God. He makes me righteous before God. Therefore, anything that I do is out of my righteous standing before God, which then means I'm living righteously. But it's to live, make choices that are righteous. And so if I'm following Christ, I will do things that are righteous because I'm following him. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, like this is it. You're giving yourself license to keep sinning. Whoever practice or makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I don't know if I've ever been that blunt. What's it really mean? That's all that it means. Are you saying that I'm of the devil? No. The Bible is. I'm not saying a word. Whoever makes a practice 
of sinning. You're making it your lifestyle to sin. And you can sound as religious and spiritual as you want, but when we act in disobedience to God, we're making a practice of sinning. And we're not, in, we're not living as followers of Jesus. He says we're of the devil. Because here's the difference, I think, followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus who surrendered him, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you won't make a practice to sin. But sometimes I think we need to make, we need to stand up and we need to speak things into each other's lives because maybe I'm missing, them, I'm missing something. My perspective's limited and I need to be confronted in a loving way to, con, to bring about the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I would be changed, that I would be changed. He says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So back to Colossians verse, uh, verse 10 of chapter one. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. It's fully pleasing to God. That there are things that I could do that are not pleasing to God. I'm supposed to live in a manner worthy and pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to God. I told you about this guy I've been reading from the 1900s, an English pastor, uh, J.C. Ryle. He said this. He's speaking to a room, a room full of pastors. He said, we should aim to speak before God. We're to ask ourselves not, what did the people think of me? But what was I in the sight of God? And then he mentions Latimer, who's an English pastor in the 1500s, was once called upon to preach before Henry VIII and began his sermon in the following manner. He began, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you were speaking before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who has the power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it please him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend royal ears? Then after a pause, he went on. Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before the king of kings, the Lord of lords, before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand, before him to whom one day you will have to give account yourself? Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all of God's word. We're living for the praise and glory of Jesus. We want his applause no matter what. To live lives that are fully set apart for him, but fully pleasing to him. And the last part. So we have before, now, and soon. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. The worship team can come back up. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That part, if indeed you continue in the faith, that sounds like, oh, it's all based on if you make it. Guys, the way that it really is assumed this, it's assumed to be true because of the author's perspective. It's like Paul is saying this, since indeed you will continue in the faith. That's more about what he's saying. Since you're going to continue, stable and steadfast, not shifting. Guys, I love the fact that Colossae was, uh, it was in earthquake territory. Us Southern California people, we get it. Some of you guys don't. Earthquake, earthquake happens in the middle of the night. How many sleep through most of them? Yep. How many of you wake up the smallest little thing, right? You jump up, the door frame, you go to the door frame because that's the part in the house that's the safest. The door frame. The door frame. Just get into the door frame. I don't know about you, I don't fit in the door frame. So do I stand like this? Hold on the door frame. Because if the whole thing comes down, the door frame, they all stay standing. Get in the door frame, you're fine. I feel one little thing, boom, get up. And he says, hey, not like the earthquakes you feel, but your faith is stable and steadfast. It's not moving. And since that, you have this hope. And it's the hope of the gospel which, was, or which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Guys, the gospel has to be proclaimed. It is not enough for me to go and do some nice things. And then people look at the nice things that I do and go, 
There's something about you. I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. I submit myself to Jesus. Guys, we have to proclaim it. It has to come out. It's the message we get to share of what it is that Christ has done. Friends, we are stable and steadfast in this gospel. And he says, of which I've become a minister. That word minister is the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get our word for deacon. It simply means servant of the king. It means minister. It does not mean board member. We take every role, make a, make a board, make a board. Everybody's gonna be on a board. Everyone's on a board. Woo! Why don't we just be servants? All of us, myself included, we're just servants. Servants of the king. Just get the job done. Love God, love people. Make disciples who make disciple makers. Let's just go do that. And pray, be led by the spirit and just go forward. And what it is he's called us to do rather than who gets to be in charge. As we close up, Alyssa back here, who either sings or plays the violin or plays piano, or some, I'm sure at some point she's going to jump on the drums. And I was texting her a couple days ago, just checking in to see how life is. And she made this statement. I said, can I quote you on this? And I put it into my notes. And I put it into my personal notes to remember down the road. She said, God has, been only faithful. God, has, God has been only faithful in my past, so I'm holding on to that for the future. He hasn't let me down. I read that and I went, oh my gosh, that'll preach. I'm so thankful for a sister who spoke into my life one quick thing. And I was checking in on her. And then she speaks that God has been only faithful in my past, so I'm holding on to that for the future. He hasn't let me down. Friends, Remember who we were before, before who we are now, holy, blameless, right before God. Therefore, living lives that are in a manner worthy of him because we love him. Everything we do, we love him. Not duty because he said to, we love Jesus. And because of that, there's this hope still to come. But until that comes, now, what do we do? Love God, love people, make disciples who make disciple makers. The great commandment, the great commission. Once we get that done, we can go on to the third thing. But that's it. Great commandment, great commission. Friends, we can do this. We can do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to get to sing to you, to be together, to give. We thank you for letting us have an opportunity to serve people somewhere around the world that they could have water to drink. Thank you. We do it all because we love you. And God, I pray you would convict us. Show us our sin. Where are we in rebellion that we could convict or that we could confess it? We could repent from it so that we're living a life that is fully pleasing to you, worthy of you. God, thank you. As we sing with this last song, as we close, God, thank you for an opportunity that we get to bless you. We get to make you happy as we sing to you and we pour out our hearts before you. So God, in this moment, be pleased. To you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you.